I'm recording. You so ready? I'm ready. All right. <laughs> <laughs> that should... Back to Prison Talk with Jamie Mead and Emma Charleston. And this is part two of the episode on rehabilitation and education inside the prison system, specifically the Michigan Department of Corrections. Mm. And what was the, when we left off the first call, what was the. Oh, the, yes. Well, I said, I asked you to explain what criminal, uh, criminal justice criminal was. Criminal criminology and criminological psychology and i said yes. i said you have to explain it i have trouble and i'm also keeping that in because i think that's a really good juxtaposition of of the difference between us and how um you're a very educated human being jamie sitting inside a prison and i have access to a lot of uh you know information and i can't even pronounce that word let alone anything <laughs> else so explain that yeah. and then we'll get into the episode now, I, I, I want to say there's only one or two schools in the United States that has even developed a, a degree, a graduate degree or a PhD um, on criminological psychology. Uh, it, it came out of Canada, and, and you know, it's early for our listeners. It's 7 o'clock in the morning or 7.15, somewhere around there here where I'm at. And it's late at night where it was at, so my I, I don't have enough coffee in me to remember the, <laughs> Every the single one thing. that coined or wrote the first book on it. But it, it combines um, the psychological aspects of developing thinking patterns or um, through, was it, uh, learning theories. They, they focus on a lot of the what children learn mm. when they're they're growing up and the habits they develop and i always like to uh compare it to like a, a football player mm. a football player in the nfl the national football league goes from the east coast to the west coast and they run different completely different formations mm. on offense and the player has to relearn because he's been playing on the East Coast for so long, the West Coast offensive um, plays and the different forms that they use. Yeah. And he, he's developed that pattern of a second nature mm. of running East Coast patterns. Mm. And that is like criminality. We have developed over time so long that it becomes second nature in thinking patterns. If we think out of those patterns, to us that is abnormal thinking. Mm. It's irrational. Mm. But to normal people, all of our thinking patterns are abnormal and irrational. Mm. So they try to focus on specifically that development and how that develops and how it can change. Mm. And now with the adolescent brain development becoming forefront in the criminal justice system, mm. this can shed light on how easy it is for youth to um, develop. And wasn't it, um, I want to say Skinner, the psychologist, um, who kept his daughter, he was criticized for it or something, he kept his daughter in isolation more and taught her certain things. She became a great psychologist, but 
he did it to show that you could specifically train a child from young age to that uh, point in their life by only placing them in a, in a, in a situation where the experience that they, they receive is that of whatever you want them to learn. What a, in, in developing, in that, developing these, these patterns. That is very that disturbing. Is, uh, that might be a groundbreaking experiment and evidence, but that is a very disturbing <laughs> parenting technique. But then again, I suppose, oh, yeah. I, was, suppose was, I suppose, I suppose it was Skinner. I suppose I all parents do that to their... some degree, but Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's... I mean, let's all um, take a moment. <laughs> no wonder she became a psychologist. Well, I mean, if we look at Sigmund Freud and his reliance on the head and the mm. everything, he, he always thought that it's a man's something with his mother. <laughs> yes. So it was never... Yes. You know, so those were thinking... <laughs> of psychology I would perhaps that was some projection on his part <laughs> yeah he was very obsessed with that wasn't and it he? could have been but <laughs> mm. but then there's you know there's other um and I, I look at uh Stan Nee Sam now mm. and his last name is anyone can look him up he's still alive s-a-m-e-n-o-w and his first name is Stan mm. And he, he came out of the University of Michigan, and he studied under, he was called out to Washington, D.C., to a asylum for the criminally insane. Mm. And he studied, he studied under Yokelson, who had passed away before his books were published. Mm. And he has a three-volume set of books titled um, The Criminal Personality. Mm. And he lists, like, I, I want to say 57 or 64, somewhere around there, thinking errors. Mm. that criminals have. Well, Glenn Walters, who was a, a former psychologist for the Federal Bureau of Prisons, mm. took in those thinking errors, and I think he grabbed up 10 major ones that all criminals have. Mm. And he wrote Criminal Lifestyle, I believe that's his book. Mm. And he's still alive. Mm. Um, these are, you know, they've studied criminals for all their lives. Mm. And initially, Sam now thought that criminally insane was they were actually insane, but then he realized that criminals are not insane. In order to commit a crime, you have to formulate an intent. Mm. And a truly insane person cannot formulate that intent. Mm. So then, then they even got into uh, epilepsy, possibly could cause someone to commit a crime, and they were looking at different... Um, biological mm. aspects of the brain also but yeah but Sam now Sam now admits in his books and his books were written in the 70s or late 60s yeah. but he had a few you know decades of studies yeah of, of criminals and he he admitted that um, there's all there's a small percentage that truly change mm. and he said a person can only fake that they had been rehabilitated. He, the longest he's seen someone fake it and get away with it was about seven years. Mm. They always resort back and do something where they get caught. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that's a... Well, you're always going on. You're, you're always going on about thinking errors and abnormal thinking. <laughs> yeah. So now... And, and, and those ab 
the, what abnormal thinking can be, you know, it doesn't have to be criminal. No. And that's, you know, that distinguishes it from... But, but what I'm getting at, uh, Jamie, is I, I think that particular class or those classes around that idea, I think you obviously really took that in because that is something I hear you talk about a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's, um, there's one of the leading criminologists, I really, I really love his work, is Edwin Sutherland. Mm. And he developed a differential association theory. Mm. And it's a learned theory. Mm. And he, he hypothesized that um, most criminals, majority of them, learn from their peers mm. and learn from their environment. Yeah. And that's how they develop, even by watching their peers. Yeah. They might not, a peer might not tell them exactly how to do it, mm. but by observation that they can, you know, um, learn how to commit crime. Well, that seems... And they adapt that, those... That seems completely... Re that's those, how children learn things. That's how everybody yeah, learns things. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And he used that as a, as a, a way of, of, of looking mm. towards... Um, you know why why people commit crime yeah and and there's there's but i mean there's there's a variety of reasons um theories on how people mm -hmm. get to committing a crime and some and, and it's a spectrum because we're always talking about the spectrum of black to white mm. and there are gray areas mm. some oh, you know mine i recognize excitability um, I was extremely impulsive. Mm. Um, I was influenced by peers and community. Mm. And the lure of money and importance, the sense of self-worth being a drug dealer and a gang member pushed me into that area yeah. or pulled me into that area, I should say. Mm. And I, and when, and the, the key point to that is that you got to accept that. Yes. And once you accept that, that's when you start developing those thinking patterns that become ingrained. And then that's how you have to break it. Mm. You have to replace those irrational thinking with rational thinking. And would you say, because and, I'm assuming you wouldn't have come to any of these conclusions <laughs> without that education? No, no, I would not have. Because it, it sparked, what I learned was I was not nickel slick, mm. like the term that's used. Mm. I was not, I didn't invent the wheel. Mm. I was doing patterns that have been researched and studied mm. for years, yeah. decades. Yeah. From the 18... <laughs> from so the, we stop, we, you, you completely went out, pattern. you completely went out from the 18 when? Uh, well, it, it'd be considered the 1900s. It, mm. um, Bacar, I think, I can't even remember how to pronounce his name, but, Bicaria, Bicaria. Mm. Um, he's one of the oldest criminologists um, yeah. recognized. And he wrote uh, criminal, uh, it's, it's like B-E-C-C-A-R-I-O or something like that. Bicaria? Bicaria. Bicaria? Yeah, it's, it's a weird spelling. He's Italian. Well, then yeah, I'm going to go for Bicaria. I'm going to yeah. show my complete ignorance and vote Bicaria. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, you know, so those are, uh, you know, they're just different ways of how we get to committing, mm. actually being able to make that decision.
and getting and so getting yeah. back to education yeah. I, and rehabilitation that's a, that's actually a prime example of how your education helped you towards your personal rehabilitation because it sounds to me talking to you a lot I know you use especially thinking patterns you you you're always going on about that in some way shape or form and obviously yeah. learning that has really stuck in your mind and then you have actively actively chosen to rehabilitate yourself essentially yes oh. and and you know we we started we also started a group of us with the same interest also started running classes like criminal addictive thinking classes um we started running um commitment to change classes mm. and without staff sitting inside the classroom mm. uh, prisoners as a whole peer-to-peer -peer, mm. we're more open to um discussing yeah actually what dri drove us to commit crime yeah so it, you have a little bit more openness when yeah. you have a group of prisoners doing it instead of when you have a staff member sitting in there well it's, it's when you're with people that you know or <laughs> hope at least yeah won't judge you and understand what you're talking about where you're coming from and you know so when it comes to understanding and, and looking at um, why you committed crime it, it's it's a lot deeper than that because the person who commits a homicide a murder mm. can can have the same you have one minute remaining same intent that drives him mm. can drive the rapist yeah um it's the sense of control yeah uh, power dominance over someone yeah um it, it might not always it could be the same that a robber yeah. or a thief has yeah. But we are rounding to the last minute on this phone call. Are we going to continue this discussion on the third? You know part? we are, unless you've said all you all have right. to say on the matter. No, because um, <laughs> I, I would like to uh, get into yep. how the NDOC attempted to block us getting these books and yes. learning about ourselves. Well, I was going to ask you about the library if you have access to it. But you yep. know what? I will let you do most of, if not all, the talking next episode. <laughs> <laughs> all right and i will call you back in 15 minutes all and right. hope all the listeners come back and listen to this part three no. we will wrap it up on part three all righty bye all right bye bye